Hey guys, my name is Darnell Rice. I am the CTO of the Confess Project, Chief of People. Hi, I'm Dante Williams, and you're listening to ADA Live. Yo. Hi, let's roll. Let's go. Hey, everybody. On behalf of the Southeast ADA Center, the Burton Blatt Institute at Syracuse University, and the ADA National Network, I want to welcome you to this episode of ADA Live. I'm Barry Whaley. I'm the director of the Southeast ADA Center. And as a reminder, listening audience, if you have questions about the Americans with Disabilities Act, you can use our online form anytime at adalive.org. The American Psychological Association finds that while Black Americans experience rates of mental illness similar to those of other Americans in general, there are some important contextual differences. According to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, the Office of Minority Health, Black adults living below the poverty line are more than twice as likely to report serious psychological distress compared to those who have greater financial security. The American Psychological Association finds that concerns such as illness, poverty, racial discrimination put Black male youth at greater risk for suicide, depression, and other mental health problems. Barbershop culture has always been an important fixture in Black communities by serving as a refuge from discrimination where Black men could freely talk about their lived experiences beyond the barbershop walls. Today, the barbershop continues to be a forum for community concerns as well as personal concerns. That leads us to our guest today, founded by Lorenzo Lewis. The Confess Project is a peer support network of over 1,500 barbers in 47 cities in 25 states who inspire boys, men of color, and their families to be better emotionally and create a culture of better mental health in Black communities. So we're honored to have as our guest today, the Chief Executive Officer, Dante Williams, and Darnell Rice, the Chief of People Officer. So gentlemen, welcome and, and thank you for being with us today. And hey, listen, thank you so thank much. You. I'm so excited uh, for this opportunity to, to talk about a, a unique movement and a time when our nation needs it. Um, so really glad to be here and representing the Confess Project. Well, and, and, and we are happy to have you. As I told you before we began today, Dante, when I first learned about the project, I became very intrigued, want to learn so much more about it. To start with, the Confess Project has been called America's First Mental Health Barbershop Movement. How did the Confess Project come about and how did it get its name? Yeah, certainly. Um, so the Confess Project in, was founded in 2016 uh, by Lorenzo Lewis, who currently serves as our chief visionary officer. And his story often that he shares is just his, his journey through his own mental health struggles. You know, I definitely want to invite our chief of people uh, officer to come in and, and just give a little bit more about the history. So, you know, Lorenzo, you know, it started off as, you know, he was born in a prison. And, you know, his mother was incarcerated and everything. And he was sitting at his, you know, auntie's table. And it, it came about, you know, he was at the table and also looking in the word in the Bible. And he opened up the Bible and there it was, confession. 
And so that's how the Confess Project came about. And, you know, Lorenzo just wanted to start, you know, having conversations with black boys, black men, you know, about their emotions, you know, and he knew that he, he just wanted to help people. And then it just started growing from there, you know, started as going into the, you know, the churches and then from there, the library, and then of course the barbershop, because we knew where we need to go, where black boys and black men reside, where we can go and, and have conversations and just be able to just talk freely and not feel, you know, judged and, and be in a very, very brave and, and vulnerable space. I mean, that's, that, that's fascinating. So as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, barbershops have typically been a safe place. T tell me a little more about that. Why barbershops and, and why barbers? So, you know, oftentimes when we, we look at the African-American community and, and who has the heart of the community, we, we lean towards our churches. But Lorenzo, uh, back in 2016 and, and even prior to, really recognized that the barbers and the beauticians um, really have the trust of the community, right? And even from a mental health psychological standpoint, um, you know, men are able to open up more, right, when there's that physical contact of, of cutting hair. And so recognizing that these were heroes, right, within our community, wanted to give them the skills and the tool sets um, to enhance what they were already doing. And that was being good listeners and, and, and really being there and uplifting our community as a whole. Yeah. Darnell, would you add anything? Yeah, and, and definitely honoring the the barbers and stylists and being able to identify just the body language, the certain body cues, you know, the listening skills, because we know as, as barbers and barber stylists that they are such essential in our communities and they have such an influence on their clients and community. Because as you realize, like, with, you know, barbers and barber stylists, they have clients from all walks of life, down from the boy, the boys on the block to the CEO of major corporations. So they definitely have the influence and have the, the love and support of the community. So that's why it's so important for barbers to be the, the next level, you know, advocates, you know, because of course we have our clinicians, but barbers are so important. When you think about our civil rights era and you think about the fact that, you know, typically we, we couldn't go to, we couldn't go out in the world and, and, and fight for, for equality and justice. It started in a barbershop. So that's why the barbershop is such a sacred place and our barbers and barber stylists are very important. Yeah, I get that. You know, I hadn't really thought about it, but, but as you say, Darnell, that, you know, people from all walks of life, people from all different socioeconomic group are all meeting together at the barbershop. So that's, that's, that's really interesting. So I read somewhere that the Confess Project is built on a four-tier model. And I'm wondering if you could kind of walk us through those four tiers and, and what the approach is for, for what you do. So the four tiers that, that we really stand on is access, right? How do we increase access to mental health services, to mental health care? And then uh, our second tier is going to be advocacy. Um, and then the third being research. And then uh, fourthly, innovation. I think just to kind of give a, some insight, really looking at the innovation piece, right? Um, and, and really, I think that's something that we at the Confess Project 
recognized as being important um, if we're truly going to extend the life of, of African-American males, their boys, as well as their families. But access to care. Um, we know that when an African-American uh, goes into a mental health uh, system, that they're twice as less likely to receive a diagnosis. Right. And so then that in its own self is oftentimes limiting access to care. And so really, again, going back to the notion of the barbershop, right, um, being a place and a platform to where barbers can advocate, right, and, and where the Confess Project assists in that mission. And then uh, lastly, I would just say research, you know, obviously in the beginning stages, uh, partner with Harvard University, um, just to kind of really identify that, hey, the, the barber, the beautician really are these key figures and, and have a voice, right, that can be heard. And, and I would just also uh, mention that we're partnering with Georgia State University as well, um, really demonstrating the evidence base behind uh, this model. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I want to definitely echo what uh, Dante has, has definitely um, said, you know, as as we think about barbers and, and stylists, barbers and stylists have generally been been those therapists. They have generally been those uh, influences in the community because clients, you know, confide in, in their barber. You know, if, if I can trust you with my hair care needs, I'm going to trust you with my business. So, you know, that's so important to as well to recognize the importance of the barber and barber stylists because they are the they are the true heroes. They're the ones that, you know, put their life on the line every day to ensure that their community, but their clients look good, feel good, but also have a sense of pride and dignity and respect. That's an excellent point. So, so staying with that, men in general, black men specifically for this project, do you believe that they tend to not seek out more traditional mental health services for fear of what stigmatization or being seen as weak or less than and and I'm, I'm wondering if you could speak to that yeah certainly um and i think that you're you're right on target uh with the with that uh notion in that you know oftentimes there is a mistrust right um within the system um if that's the mental health system and, and really I think we could expand that to the wider medical model, right, within the African-American community. Right. Um, and so it is important uh, that, you know, even as I consider, again, further just advocacy, right, being able to have a place to where, you know, the barbers have that trust of the community, right? And they have, they, they built the trust within that community. And, and again, being those heroes um, really are able then to advocate and to hopefully make change. And so part of what we're doing here um, at the Confess Project is, is really advocating, right? Looking at concepts of universal licensing across states, right? Because that's limiting access to services. And then also like, how do we recognize that? Listen, you know, we have a group of individuals um, who have skills, right? And if we can provide them a deeper level of training, ultimately it could lead to saving life. Excellent. Anything to add, Darnell? So when you when you think about, you know, when it comes to access, uh, as far as, you know, with, you know, us black men, we want to make sure that we we're connected with, you know, therapists that look like us. Yeah. You know, because it's so important that we we know that someone that, that we can relate to 
that have lived experiences, that have unique lived experiences that can say, you know, hey, you know, this is what I've experienced. This is what I have done. And this is how I'm going to overcome. So it's so important that, you know, we, we have people that look like us, that we that can relate to us and, and be that actual guide and, and that role model. And also, you know, that that hero and that that champion. You know, because to say, to keep going and saying, you know what, you are my hope. You are my resilience. So that's that's important as well, too. When you talk about, you know, black men, you know, therapy, you talk about lack of access. Yeah. You know, we, we got to definitely have the access, you know, and, and, you know, it's so important to have those therapists that look like us. That's an excellent point. Thank you so much, Darnell. So Dante, I think a couple of minutes ago, you you had mentioned that Confess Project is partnering with Harvard and with Georgia State, in particular, that Harvard study titled Why Black Barbers Should Be Considered Essential Workers in America. And I'm wondering if you and Darnell could talk a little bit more about the study and what the findings are. Yes, certainly. Um, so in our in our formative stages, um, you know, the Confess Project really partnered with Harvard University um, to really begin the work of examining um, just the barbering community. Um, and what, what we recognize in the onset is that there was a, a great sense of urgency, right, that this was a community that needed support um, and, and so forth. And, and basically what the study revealed is that, yes, you know, barbers should be considered essential workers, right? And looking at just some of the, the information that we were able to receive from that study, since that partnered with Georgia State University, um, and we just concluded a, a pilot study, just examining our, our training methods, our, our models, and, and seeing its effectiveness and, and what we've learned is that uh, they want more, right? You know, um, and so we're looking at how do we expand this, you know, to a, a four-hour training, to multiple-day trainings. So we're we're getting a lot of really great evidence, and ultimately we're excited about that, and we're looking to even expand into salons, right? Recognizing African American women are are equally important, and and that's really why we expanded our vision um, to include the family as well. That's interesting. So I'm I'm curious. Dante, how, how do you measure success in the success in the, in the Confess project? How, how do you look at effectiveness? I would answer that in two ways. You know, one is data driven, right? Um, today, having trained uh, 1,500 barbers um, based off of the numbers and the amount of contact hours, um, mm-hmm. we know that we've reached at least 1.5 million people to date. Um, Secondly, um, I would answer that by saying it's the lived experience. I recall recently being in California, you know, just, you know, walking around and ran into a gentleman who uh, was struggling in that moment, you know, and and considering um, suicide. And so being able to to be a voice and to get him from, you know, from that place to the hospital um, and being a part of our network now, so there, I think that the evidence is demonstrated on, on two levels. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's quite the powerful story. And also I want to add to, you know, the connection between the barber and barber stylist and being with the community, because believe it or not, barbers know everybody. Barbers know, have connections on so many different levels with what we're doing with our training we, we make sure we amplify the barber and the barber stylist, but also equip them to be those uh, suicide prevention specialists to, to identify 
warning signs and identify where the client is at that moment. And just really understanding that the barber and barber stylist, they're a bridge, a connector. That That's important as well, too. Yep, excellent. Yep, thank you. So in, in 2020, the Confess Project Barber Coalition began a partnership with Gillette Razor Company as part of their The Best a Man Can Be campaign to bring your state of mind barbershop tour to 16 cities across the United States. That's pretty cool. Can you tell us more about the partnership with Gillette? So Gillette is, is definitely one of our biggest partners and they believe in the work of the Confess Project, especially with our barbers and our barber stylists in, in mm -hmm. the communities. So they wanted to make sure that the message was spreading about, you know, access, you know, innovation, and just understanding the importance of, you know, barbering and understanding that it's important to, to breaking the stigma around, you know, mental illness and, you know, building a better culture of mental health and understanding that, you know, that it's important for, for barbershops to, to be that social hospital. And, and Gillette has been gracious and been really a part of our movement and they really honor our work and they understand that a man can be his best. Best man can be campaign to be his best, you know, in, in those moments. So Gillette has, you know, has really been a vehicle for the Confess Project. I remember when we, when pandemic, and we were planning a, a big major 40 city tour but when the pandemic hit we had to pivot so we we uh we went to gillette and said hey let's do a virtual tour and they said yeah you know that let's do it so we were able to do a virtual tour as well in conjunction with the uh the tour that with the best man can be campaign uh and it, it went overwhelming very well and we were able to capture, you know, barbers and train barbers as well. So Gillette, Gillette has been, you know, that that vehicle for us. And, and we honor, you know, Gillette and, and they honor black boys, black men and their families too, through their, you know, through their tools and products. Thank you, Darnell. ADA Live listening audience, if you have questions about the Confess Project or any other ADA Live topic, you can submit your questions online at adalive.org, or you can call the Southeast ADA Center at 1-404-541-9001. And now we're going to pause for a word from this episode's sponsor, The Confess Project. The Confess Project began in 2016 in recognition of the need to equip marginalized Black men and boys with mental health strategies and coping skills to help them move past their pain. In the African-American community alone, suicide is the third leading cause of death. The Confess Project exists to help change that. The vision of the Confess Project is a world without stigma and shame, and one that results in a life expectancy for Black boys and men, increasing in legislation that ensures it lasts. For more information about the Confess Project, please visit their website at www.theconfessproject.com. Right, we're back. We are talking today with representatives from the Confess Project, Darnell and Dante are our guests today. 
So I want to talk for a minute about some of the other recognition that you've had. The governor of Arkansas has recognized the Confess Project for your efforts. In 2019, the American Psychiatric Association Foundation honored you with their Pioneer for Advancing Minority Mental Health Award. Tell us more about those honors. Those, those are pretty cool. Um, we're really excited um, to, to have the recognition um, and having so many people, I think, kind of really believe in the work that we're doing. You know, even more recently, as we uh, launched and moved our headquarters uh, to the Atlanta area, um, we're so grateful for um, partnerships uh, with Killer Mike and, and also um, even uh, NAMI, several local chapters uh, throughout. Um, and so really filling this space um, as it relates to just mental health. You know, one thing I, I will mention, um, you know, we're, we're excited for these partnerships and, and future ones to come. And I think that there is a reality in doing this work, and, and that is um, funding and, and acknowledgement. And so we're beyond grateful uh, for all the partners uh, that have supported us to date. And just to clarify, Dante, when you say NAMI, you're talking about the National Alliance for Mental Illness. Yes. Um, and so recently they just celebrated their NamiCon um, and where they did feature uh, the Confess Project. Um, and so that was a really exciting moment uh, for us um, as we really go into the mental health space. Thank you, Dante. You know, you mentioned in, in 2020 that your, your partnership with Gillette, you, you had to take the tour virtually because of the pandemic. And the pandemic overall for all of us um, have resulted in increased mental health challenges. I'm curious what you see specifically, what are the issues that impact Black men and Black boys? What, what are their specific mental health challenges, especially as the result of the pandemic? In particular, what we have been observing as it relates to our youth is an increase in depression, um, an increase in isolative uh, behaviors. And so, you know, we always ask the question of how do we re-engage? And I, I think the pandemic uh, created an additional challenge, whereas as a society, right, used to social interaction and engagement, having now to do that on a virtual platform definitely created some challenges just in, in those uh, particular uh, spaces. I would imagine, especially in the early days of the of the pandemic, when everything shut down, that included barbers and stylists that not only were those stylists and barbers closed, but in, in some way, reinforcing that depression and that isolation that the pandemic brought because you didn't have access to your barber. But also what I will say is that I think that we can also point to the barbershop and, and salons. Um, being a place of community, uh, what we've also saw is that it became a center for support, celebration, and, and how do we come together as a community? I would be remiss if I didn't mention that on July 31st, we're having a, a big back to school event um, hosted, you know, in the barbershop. And so, you know, even through, uh, I think, the depression, the isolation, uh, the anger uh, that has been felt across the nation, uh, really believing in the community and the barbershop and the salons being that place of healing. And also, I would like to add, um, during the pandemic, our barbers and, and barber stylists were truly affected. The Confess Project took the initiative and we stepped in and we started to research resources to be readily available for our barbers and barber stylists because a lot of barbers and stylist guys, they had to revert back to just regular jobs. I mean, to a point where it had to be where 
they had to, you know, go work at grocery stores and, you know, just different odd jobs just to keep food and keep, you know, the bills paid. But a lot of barber shops and a lot of barbers and stylists did not recover from the pre-pandemic. That's why the Confess Project, we had to be innovative and move fast. And that's what we did. So we we stepped in and we showed up for our barbers and barber stylists because the barbers and barber stylists are not covenant to be essential. You know, they're they're like doctors, attorneys, lawyers. When you don't have a haircut, you feel some type of way. It was just so important that the Confess Project showed up for the barber industry, but all especially the barbers and barber stylists, to let them know that we care and that we love them and that we honor them in this space. I'm curious, Darnell, speaking in economic terms of, of the shutdown and barbers having to go find work elsewhere or whatever, not considered essential. Is there additional compensation for your barbers who are, are trained by the Confess Project? So we do have opportunities for our barbers to be, you know, be media opportunities, but also be able to become barber trainers where they're able to, to go out and, you know, and train barbers and also barber schools as mm-hmm. well. It's important for the barber students that are coming out of school to have the tools readily available because we're not just talking about mental health. We're talking about life experiences. We're talking about life, talking about credit, talking about wealth building, talking about the essential things that barbers and stylists need to know now because barbers come from all walks of life. So we got to make sure that we continue to add value to the barber and barber stylists, but add value to their life because we want to make sure that we teach them ways and opportunities to explore with other barbers, you know, in the industry, because we know when you learn from other people, you will grow and be great. So it's so important that we understand that too, but it's just, it was just so phenomenal to see the community building in, in our coalition and in with just barbers and, and also with our trainers because they can speak the language. They can be able to go into a barber shop or go into a barber school and speak the language and talk about the history, but also talk about the business and the personal side of it and also our training too as well. Yes. I would also like to just quickly add, you know, as we do our trainings, we keep the barbers and beauticians at the forefront. Soon we'll be in Minneapolis, we'll be in Mississippi, um, you know, encourage you to follow the Confess Project and register. And so we also try to provide a stipend uh, for the barbers to receive our training. And, and then they become a part of our network where we engage them throughout the year. I'm curious, and these are conversations that I've been having with other friends of mine who are are African-American, that the the whole issue of how is disability seen in the Black community? Not just mental health issues, but physical disability, blindness, sensory disabilities. Do you have a sense of of, of how disability is viewed in African-American culture? You know, I think I would say from my experience is that oftentimes these are things that are not discussed. Um, Oftentimes, you know, even as we relate specifically to mental illness, we do not know that it exists um, within our family, right? And that's unfortunate. Understanding that something like alcoholism has a genetic disposition. And so having that insight um, within my family history could be a benefit, right? So when you go off to college, you know not to drink because that could lead you to an addiction, 
So when, when you think about disability, and I can speak from a, a lived experience, because uh, I, I have a qualifying disability. Uh, as we talk about in the black community, it is not discussed. It's not talked about. It's, it's like shone upon. It's like, okay, well, you have a, a disability, but you don't have the capabilities to to rise above your disability. You're not able to to live, grow, learn, develop, you know, be a business owner. And I think, in the, especially in, in the black community, you're seen as a, a, a liability and not an asset. And, and the other point that I, I really wanted to make is that um, we're changing that. Um, you know, as we continue to go across the United States and, and even casting a vision for internationally, you know, having these conversations and, and being on a platform such as this begins to change that narrative. Um, and so I'm excited uh, for the work that the Confess Project is doing and also um, just for the opportunity to speak on a platform such as this. Yeah. I appreciate that. One other thought, just to kind of get your all's viewpoint, this this issue of disability. One conversation I had with a friend was, you know, if I'm 65 years old or or even 45 and, and I have diabetes, right? And I'm an African-American man with diabetes, I don't see that as disability. I see that as having diabetes and, and I don't make the connection with disability or that because of that diabetes, I might have protection under the ADA or other disability rights law. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I definitely want to add to that. Education is key. Awareness is key. Learning what the laws say, learning what the laws are, but also really taking the time and really, you know, just learning about it for yourself and understanding your rights. Under the ADA, we, we are protected. You matter. You you know you're able to to grow and, and and be great. So we're defining those things here at the Confess Project because we honor our barbers and stylists, but we honor our community as well because we fight on an everyday basis to fight against the powers that be and change the narrative of negativity and change the narrative narrative of racism, poverty but also to be able to be liberated and understanding that we do have we do have a voice and generations before us and after us will continue to thrive and live the best versions of their life because not only are we fighting for our communities we're fighting for black boys we're fighting for the little boy inside of us so that's so important and that's why we do what we do at the confess project because we are fighting for respect, love, and honor as well. Well said. In wrapping up, I have two more just quick questions for you. If I was someone who wanted to find a barber who's participating in the Confess Project, how do I do that? So you could definitely reach out to our website and we could definitely get you involved and get you connected to our barbers that are in, in our network that have been definitely have been trained and that they can get in contact with that barber, but also go to our Barbershop Coalition page as well, too, to get connected as well. Yeah, and that, that website is uh, theconfessproject.com. And as Darnell's mentioning, um, really also following some of the social media, uh, Facebook um, and so forth. We're on all those platforms. But I, I will tell you, um, you can call and we do answer to the phone <laughs> as well. 
And so we we look forward to connecting. It's not something that we we shy away from. So conversely, what if I'm a barber and I want to be involved in the Confess Project? What what should I do? Connecting, you know, through one of our trainings. Once you go through one of our trainings, you really become a part of our network. And I love our CPO just to explain that a little bit. But we want to stay connected. Um, you know, we engage with you biweekly, um, you know, offer different seminars and workshops. We certainly want to be connected. Um, Darnell, could you explain a little bit more? Yeah. So basically what the, the barber does is they go through our training first because we also have an online free online training for our barbers. They go through that process first. Then from there, they'll get a certificate and then we'll get their Facebook, Instagram information. We'll get them connected into our private Facebook group. And then from there, we, we have coalition calls at the end of the month. And then we have Zoom meetings, second and fourth Mondays. So Dante and Darnell, I, I can't thank you enough for your, you know giving us your time today. I know that everybody at Southeast ADA Center, we wish you every success with the Confess Project as you continue to grow and reach new people in need. Listeners, as a reminder, you can access all ADA Live episodes with archived audio, accessible transcripts, and resources on our website. That's adalive.org. You can listen to ADA Live on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com forward slash ADA Live. You can download ADA Live to your mobile device, Uh, go to your podcast app and search for ADA Live. If you have questions about the Americans with Disabilities Act, you can use our online form again at any time, that's adalive.org, or contact your regional ADA center at 1-800-949-4232. And remember, those calls are always free and they're confidential. We also invite you to tune in to our companion podcast, Disability Rights Today, for in-depth discussions on important court cases that shape uh, disability rights in the Americans with Disabilities Act. You can learn more about that podcast at disabilityrightstoday.org. ADA Live is a program of the Southeast ADA Center, the Burton Blatt Institute at Syracuse University, and a collaboration with the Disability Inclusive Employment Policy Rehabilitation Research and Training Center. Our producer is Celestia Razda with Beth Miller Harrison, Mary Mortar, Marsha Schwanke, Chase Coleman, and me, I'm Barry Whaley. Our music is from Four Wheel City, the movement for improvement. Again, have a great afternoon and we'll see you next episode.